0: Well, this is the last sermon in our series on who's who in the Bible. Um, and as always, I just want to thank so many people who have helped to put our worship service together. Uh, for John Sticknot, who is our liturgist this morning, uh, for our praise team and Wesley Choir, who always put our music together so wonderfully, and for Gary Brubaker, who puts everything so great together for us. Thank you for all of those who, um, who participate in our worship service. So this is the last Um, in our series on who's who in the Bible, talking about um, some people that you may know or some that you may not, some that we know a little bit about, some that we may not know anything about, some that we're going to name our kids again, like Mephibosheth. Um, So we've been talking about who these people are, um, imperfections and all, uh, who they are and what their faith tells us about our faith, about themselves, and about God. Um, Now, in the next few weeks, we're going to start a new series talking about some of our favorite songs, especially songs of faith. Now, these are some of the songs that y'all have sent in as your favorite hymns or songs um, or praise songs. Um, So we'll have a series looking at these songs and um, some of their origins and how they were written um, and what they tell us about our faith. So, but before we get there this morning, we're going to talk about Lydia. So would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if I were to ask you or anyone who um, who the major characters are in the Bible or who you can name from people in the Bible, um, I think many of the ones that we've talked about this these past few weeks would not be top on your list. Uh, maybe Paul, um, but probably like Jesus would come up first, um, or the disciples, um, or Mary, the mother of Jesus. Most of the time, they're probably going to be New Testament uh, people. Maybe there'll be others like Isaiah or um, Noah, but um, mostly they're going to be stories that we've probably heard before, obviously, um, or like the, the major characters. And throughout the scripture, there are those major characters and major figures, but there's also some of those, I guess, minor ones, the minor characters, the minor figures, um They're not the Jesuses or the Moseses or the Paul or disciples or Mary, Um, but there's so many people found throughout the pages of scripture, Um, so many more people who have played a role in some of the stories, maybe that we know a lot about, but we didn't know about some of the people in them. Um, Or maybe they're stories that we didn't even know were in the Bible uh, because I mean, maybe we don't have the Bible memorized, or there's just parts of the the scriptures that maybe we haven't read or haven't been taught before. So there are a lot, there are a lot of people throughout the scriptures, and hopefully throughout this series, you've learned a little bit more about some people that you didn't know before. And um, Lydia is uh, one of those people. Now, uh, many people um, that I talked to even about the series, they said that they were familiar with Lydia um, or they were looking forward to hearing more about Lydia because they knew her story. Um, And so Lydia is often known even just a little bit about, even if it's just her name or the fact that she was um, a, a convert to Christianity, now, her story in the New Testament is literally just these verses. Um, that's it. There is nothing before mentioned about Lydia, and there is nothing after mentioned about Lydia. Just these few verses. So in just these few verses, um, her story continues to be told over and over and over again. So we know about her, even though she's mentioned in just a few verses. So who is she? Let's talk a little bit about Lydia and what we know about her from history and um, from what the scriptures reveal to us, even in just these few verses. Lydia was a businesswoman dealing in purple cloth. We'll talk about purple cloth in just a few minutes. Um, she was from the area or from the town city called Thyreta, um, which is a city in Asia Minor. And because of the location of where she's from, um, she's considered to be from Europe. And so uh, many consider her to be the first European convert to Christianity. Um, she was not particularly connected to any particular religious affiliation or faith tradition, although she did participate in Jewish services and teachings um, that's where Paul found her. Um, she was seemingly not um, not connected in with the tradition itself. Um, and so then after she converts to Christianity and she's baptized um, and her whole house is baptized, she uh, provides hospitality to Paul and others um, after her conversion. So that's, I mean, the basic of the story that we know, just from these few verses. But let's dive in just a little bit, and we'll do a deeper dive um, into Lydia. Now, Lydia was a woman. And um, many women during that time weren't allowed or didn't have um, the authority or the rights to be business women or to own their own home. Um, and so there are a lot of people who say that Lydia must have been a widow and the business was actually her husband's and the home was actually her husband's that she probably didn't have anything to do with it herself. Um, And I think that that's sometime um, a justification um, that women were not uh, given some of these roles. Um, There actually, though, isn't evidence to prove that. There's no evidence to prove that Lydia was ever married. And so although women were often not considered capable or allowed to run their own businesses, that wasn't always true. Um, There were women who did run their own businesses and had money of their own. In fact, throughout the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' ministry, Jesus and the disciples' ministry, is funded by women. Um, So women had money to pay for the travels for Jesus and his disciples, you know, they were kind of the patrons um, for these missions. So women actually had more rights than sometimes I think that we think that they did. We think that they. Um, now that's not to say that there wasn't oppression and there weren't um, rights that were taken away from them. However, um, in this in this case in particular, it didn't take a husband or a man for Lydia's business to have legitimacy. So she may not have been married or widowed or had been a single woman in this business of dealing purple cloth. Her business was in dealing with purple cloth. And purple cloth um, in that time was very costly and actually took a great deal of skill to make. Um, So here's what the purple cloth was made of. There were these sea snails and there was mucus that they released, um, and that mucus was used to dye the purple cloth. Um, so, yeah, you heard. Um, so it would take sometimes thousands of these snails or, you know, um, to, uh, to create a, to this dye for purple cloth. And in order to extract this mu- mucus, It either took great precision um, to not kill the snails and to get this. So it took a great deal of skill and knowledge to extract the mucus, or it took a lot of strength to um, even to collect them and smash them. So uh, however it was that the dye was made, it wasn't easy. um, Because first you had to find the snails, then you had to collect enough of them thousands of them and then you had to figure out how to get the chemicals or the extractions to make the dye itself so you know to say oh she had purple cloth that sounds really easy it was not Um, dealing in this type of cloth meant that lydia was strong that she was smart and that she was quite talented And because this type of cloth, this purple cloth, took uh, so much skill to make, it was quite expensive, which meant that not everybody had access to it. Um, Being able to purchase this kind of cloth meant that you had money. And so it was seen as sort of a status symbol, or uh, there are certain times in history that only the wealthy were allowed to purchase this. Um, In a certain point in Rome's history, only the emperor was allowed to purchase or wear purple clothing. You know, in fact, um, in some ways, in, um, in the United Methodist tradition, purple clergy shirts are reserved only for bishops um, to just show uh, kind of the hierarchy of where folks are. So purple cloth was not, it seems like it might be unique today, um, and yet then it was not. It was It was quite impressive. So this whole business of dealing in purple cloth really made Lydia quite impressive. So Lydia, in her conversion, um, Lydia was considered a Gentile, uh, but was often described as kind of a Judaism sympathizer, meaning that she believed in one God, but hadn't gone through any of the processes to be a part of the Jewish tradition for whatever reason, whether it was that she was felt to be unwelcomed or undeserving or she didn't want to, uh, for whatever reason, she liked. I guess maybe the way that we often describe it now is that she was spiritual but not religious. Um, And in her conversion, she became religious and spiritual. We're both. Um, So there was something about Paul that changed her mind. And actually, it wasn't really about Paul, um, but it was about the way that Paul shared the gospel. It changed her life, and she was baptized. And Lydia's first act after uh, was to offer hospitality to Paul and others in her home, which that's actually another sign showing her wealth and influence. She owned her own home and had staff. So she offered um, hospitality to these people who were traveling through, and that meant more than just offering them a bed and a place to sleep. It meant giving them food and shelter, washing their clothes, Um, and Paul often found himself in trouble, Um, and so she was sometimes, you know, aiding and abetting or offering space to someone who was seen as a criminal or even a traitor to, um, to some people. So this wasn't, um, you know, hey, eh, just come and lay on my couch for a while. This was actually a really big and generous act from Lydia. So although she's only mentioned in these verses, she's really quite influential. I mean, she—it's enough to be mentioned in just these verses. Out of all of the people that Paul encounters throughout all of his travels, Lydia is mentioned. Paul thought highly enough of her to mention her um, and to stay in her home, which became a church. Um, she, She founded the church in her home, and we're still talking about her generations later. So what kinds of things do we learn from Lydia and her story? Well, I think, one, we learn determination, I think she was clearly determined in all aspects of her life. It took determination to run a successful business as a woman and one that was so technical and skilled and such a craft that um, that she did, that it took determination for her to run that. Um, and I think she was open to learning about God and continued to find opportunities to learn more. Um, she was at the river to pray. She was looking for ways to understand God more. She listened to Paul. Um, so I think that she was she was finding her own opportunities to practice her faith. We learned generosity from her, Um for her opening up her home to Paul and to others and and to make her home one of the first churches, that she was generous to give this space, not just for her use, but for a whole community to use. And she was faithful. She lived out her faith both in words and actions. I think that we have so much to learn from Lydia, even in just these few verses. I think Lydia's story reminds us of our story of being called into ministry. It's in our baptism that we're called into ministry. And I think a lot of times we think ministry is either, you know, somebody who goes and and shares the gospel on street corners or pastors or preachers, that that's ministry and that's what it means to be called into ministry. That's something that preachers do. Um, But that's not true. We're actually all called into ministry through the waters of our baptism. Lydia continued her work in cloth and also answered her call into ministry. You're called into ministry as well by the waters of your baptism. We're called to be teachers, clothing dealers, construction workers, accountants, child care workers. And we're called into ministry. Now, it doesn't mean that those are either or, that, oh, I'm called to be a teacher, and into ministry. Sometimes those are connected together. We can and we should live out our faith in all aspects of our life. Now, this isn't... um, this isn't the first time I preached a sermon that we're all called into ministry. In fact, several years ago, I preached this um, at a different church, and I preached that everyone had a call into ministry, and um, I think it was the next day or uh, the day after, um, one of the members came into, uh, into my office, and she was holding like a plastic bag, and she explained to me that her husband had died recently and that she had some of his clothing made into a stuffed bear. And she talked about how much comfort it brought her. And then she talked about how she had made stuffed animals for others all the time. And others felt comforted too. And I was like, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. And I and I thought that that's what she was here to share with me. That she was sharing with me this, this ministry that she had. But um, then she started to cry. And she said, when you preached... And you told us that we're all called to ministry. I was so angry and I thought that was a lie. She said, I was told my whole life that anything that I did wasn't important enough to be considered good enough for God. And then you told us we're all called and I was mad at you for lying to everyone. And then I went home and I started sewing a bear and as I was sewing in my head, I was composing the, the angry letter that I was going to write to you. And I sewed faster and I sewed harder. And then when I finished, I sent a picture of the bear that I had made to the woman that it was being sent to. And the woman who it was being sent to um, is a woman who is going through cancer treatment. And I sent her a picture of the bear and told her it was going in the mail tomorrow. And she said, oh, thank you so much. This is such a gift from God. And such a good reminder that God will be with me in my treatments. And she said, I saw that message come through and I dropped my phone. And she said, and then I realized I am called into ministry and I didn't even know it. Thank you for telling me the truth, even though I didn't want to hear it. And then she began a stuffed animal ministry in the church. She collected new or gently used animals that we would sit in the pews and uh, they'd be taken to folks who were in the hospital um, or folks who needed extra prayers with a tag on it saying how uh, it had been present while we had sung songs of faith and heard scriptures and prayed prayers and and know that God is with you during during whatever it is that you're facing. And so we had these sitting throughout the pews. And um, we usually would add extra animals in the pews when there was a funeral and they'd all be gone. Um, People would take them with them. And so there was one week in particular that we had run out of these stuffed animals to hand out to folks. And the next week, um, one of our kiddos came to church um, with this well-loved unicorn. And her siblings all put their animals in the box, but she held it throughout the whole service. And then when she came up to me at the end of the service, she took that, that unicorn and she took a deep breath and she looked at me and she hugged it tight. She took a deep breath and then she handed it to me and she said, I love this so much and I know someone else will love it too and it will help them to know that God loves them. We're all called into ministry. Sometimes that ministry is hospitality and purple cloth. Sometimes that ministry is preaching a sermon or praying a prayer. Sometimes that ministry is stuffed animals, making them or giving them to someone to help them know that God loves them so very much. What's your call? Is your call hospitality or purple cloth or stuffed animals or preaching or teaching? St. Francis of Assisi is famously known for saying, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. Through the waters of baptism, we're all called into ministry. It's not a lie. Ministry isn't perfect. And those who do ministry aren't perfect. It's also not done alone. We go together as a community of faith. It's done with God and it is done with a whole lot of grace. It takes you just as you are. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting and fears within of, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Thanks be to God. Amen.